Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I'm also Ken Krantz. Oh, starting off fucking with me already. That, of course, is Chip Chantry. And um, we have a really uh, exciting guest here today with a cool story to tell. Um, Our guest, you can hear him as the voice of Donald Trump on Howard Stern. Uh, you have how many albums out? I, every time I blink my eye, I feel like you're releasing a stand-up album. Yeah, 49. 49 <laughs> albums. I have, I have six, <laughs> and the seventh is on its way. Well, the seventh and will be a special slash album recording in October. Um, yeah, please. Uh, I, I say I'm so bad at this. I was about to say, like, please welcome or please say hi, but there's nobody listening right now. Yeah, I'm the Philip Rivers of stand up comedy. I have no <laughs> titles, but many children. <laughs> uh, welcome J.L. Calvan to the podcast. Did I did I get the last name right? I always eh, not. Re- uh, it wasn't offensively bad, but it Covan Covan. OK, but it was pretty good. I mean, you you did at least say it how it looks as opposed to people who just throw in random L's into the name. Like, is uh, Calvin here? No, Calvin is not here. This I isn't d- a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I do want to throw an L into there for some reason. Let's introduce today's topic because JL actually has a personal connection with today's topic that I find wild. And Jesus Christ? Yeah. I have a, I have a yep. personal relation. Okay. <laughs> oh, somebody, or are we talking about somebody else? No, we're covering Richard Marks this week. Um, and J- first off, Richard Marks has one of the best rock books I've ever read in my life out right now. He just published his autobiography uh, called Stories to Tell. And, um, but JL has covid brought you and Richard Marks together somehow, which I find wild. So can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, it's it's very crazy because I've always been, I think my brother went to a Richard Marks concert when he was in like high school or early in college. And I've always been a fan of his music, um, like a lot of people. I mean, I would say I knew more than just maybe the three biggest songs. Uh, But it's funny because around 2017, you know, you you hear music all the time. And around 2017, 2018, I was like, I don't have like a Richard Marks album. I just know I know a lot of his stuff. But so I ended up buying his greatest hits like on iTunes in 2018. And it's just funny because it's like such a close proximity to when shit went down. Yeah. That. So I put out these Trump videos and the big the one that blew up for me. He was one of the first big celebrities to retweet it and he was like laugh emojis and he started just sharing my videos and then he followed me which is an exclusive club he doesn't follow a lot of people and you know ended up just having friendly exchanges and uh, i did his youtube show that he was doing over uh covid he did my podcast kind of recently which was great um and so it's obviously kind of a cyber friendship, but obviously I hope to meet the guy in, in person at a, at a show, more likely one of his shows than mine. Uh, Richard, are you going to be in Philly on this one day every 18 months? No? Okay, I guess I'll have to go to your more organized and respectable tour that is predictable and uh, dependable. So uh, he, yeah, we just, we, we, you know, we align, I guess, when it comes to Trump, we obviously are very aligned. But, uh, you know, he's a good follow and he's a he's a kind of a good uh, sharer of my stuff as well. And that's all you really need to do to be my friend is share my tweets. Yeah. <laughs> so just to give a little background. So during the pandemic, you, I mean, you were always uh, tweeting out Trump impression videos. Um, I guess they just hadn't really gained any traction until. Yeah, I had been on ESPN radio and the Adam Carolla show. And I I was like, oh, I I guess the one of the biggest podcasts and the most highly rated sports show on the radio, just not enough of a platform for me to get any notice. It was bizarre. Right. I am like success proof. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, COVID, it was. uh, was was just the ticket I needed. The the level of desperation was enough for the algorithm to say, eh, let's see if this guy can do something." Yeah, well, and and I, I've told you this before. I 
I honestly believe that you have the only truly great Trump impression because you were, you're the only person I know that's figured out that nothing that you can write is going to be crazier than the actual shit that comes out of Trump's mouth. So it almost seems to me like you channel him. Like, like you, the jokes that you're putting in there are very subtle. Everybody tries to go super over the top with the impression right. to make him even more of a cartoon, but you can't make him more of a cartoon. So you yeah, it was, it was, I mean, making podcasts great again was, it was as much as I would have preferred to have success and money, uh, sometime before 2020, <laughs> uh, it was, I had been allowed because of anonymity to really hone the impression, but also the content. Cause I have, a, a, you know, I've been doing a weekly show as Trump since early 2018. So that's an hour or 45 minutes every week where I'm just like meandering, talking pop culture and, and politics and, and whatever else. So in that I was able to develop my own take on the character, keep working on the vocals. And then, so then it becomes, you know, I can pump these things out whenever I want. Right. Uh, I don't want to do it as often, obviously now, but um, I just put out a Cuomo video showing my versatility. And then Twitter goes, Cuomo, boo, 800 views. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, it was good because I was ready at least for that moment and to capitalize on uh, people wanting lots of content while bored at home. Right. I was able to pump, pump these things out and make them unique. So... Um, yeah, it was, it was, I, I think there are good vocal impersonators. There are some very good ones. I think my ability, the thing that kind of sets it apart, um, is I think the way I can produce high level and, you know, high quality and high volume because I've just been yeah. in that headspace for, for far too long. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. it, and that's what makes it so funny because it is there are those subtle jokes and it is it is like Ken said it's not over the top that everybody goes and you're just in that voice and and to be able to to, to I, I, I that makes it I'm sure easier to put out but also just makes it resonate so much more yeah if people, people are dumb though like I do notice and sometimes I have to take their advice sometimes people will say you should do a video about this and I go everybody's gonna do a video about that. But then sometimes I do, and those videos sometimes get, you know, oh, instead of 20,000, this one got 200,000 views because sometimes the people want McDonald's. They don't always want uh, my comedy uh, steak from, from, from Spark Steakhouse uh, cooked medium rare. Sometimes they're like, I would like a Big Mac right now. Please feed me a Big Mac. Comfort food. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I st so all I remember sitting down. I'm scrolling through Twitter one day. I didn't follow Richard. I I hadn't thought of Richard Marx, you know, since since the '80s. And somebody had retweeted Richard Marx's retweet of one of your videos, and I was like, "Holy! Like Richard Marx is retweeting JL?" I was like, "What?" And then I clicked on Richard Marx's Twitter feed. I was like, Richard Marx has married the Daisy Fuente. Like, where the fuck have I been all these years? <laughs> and then I started scrolling through his Twitter, and he is legitimately one of the funniest follows in all of Twitter. And it's so funny coming from, you know, like this AOR-type artist that, that put out all of these weepy ballads that you would never think is is just owning uh, owning people that come after him left and right. I, I have to. I have a confession here, and I, I was I was hesitant before coming on to to mention the sketch that I wrote. But in September, I'm hoping to collaborate with a lot of my former sketch people. Like rather than just doing fucking videos in my apartment by myself, you know, like the ones I used to do 2018 and before. Um, but one I've written is is a Richard Marks sketch, where uh, I obviously I can't play the piano, but I, I I have a kind of '80s style wig, and it will be you know he'll be doing like a charity function, and every time he starts to sing, it's like a really nice thing for 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 kids or for for the downtrodden, or he's raising money for this charity. But 
throughout the sketch, his phone beeps like a Twitter notification. <laughs> and then like it becomes like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. <laughs> I don't I shouldn't be giving this out, but I can't help it. It's, it, I, it makes me happy to talk about it. where like it gets really dark when he looks at his phone and it's like, you know, oh, I'm a blah, blah, blah. We'll tell that to your mom. Yeah. Like, blah, blah, blah. like and then it's like, hey, kids. Uh, this is a song I wrote. Being, you know, so, and I think he'd. It's the kind of thing I would actually run by him. Yeah, because I'm. It's obviously meant in jest and sort of. Yes, great artist, nice guy. Occasionally clubs you over the head on Twitter. So I think it's kind of a funny thing that I hope he would like. So, but it wouldn't be worth it for me to put out if he found it insulting, but I think he'd find it. I, I think I, ab- it. after reading the book and seeing yeah, the type exactly. of sense of humor he has and, and a lot of it's pretty self-deprecating, I, right. I think it's that's It's not something. Brad Paisley doing the sketch. Right. It's right. me. <laughs> well, and uh, not to not to blow up your spot or uh, get you out of a job. No, please. No, I think it's do. a really funny concept. And I feel like just knowing Richard Marks from Twitter is and he's, he's so great on it that he obviously has a sense of humor and a biting sense of humor. Y- you could pitch that if you know him well enough, pitch that idea to him. He might do it himself if you right. write it. You know that. Yeah, it's, that it's one really of those funny. things that that would be the dream is to be, you know, for him to do it. But obviously logistics and uh you know all sorts of things would probably be difficult to do it would be great if it was him because then he could sing like him (laughs) as opposed to me doing like i'm gonna pick out the 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 three verses where i can sound like a c minus version and we will not range we will not deviate from that right Uh, but you know and then i just need people to bring me their kids so i can perform in front of them (laughs) <laughs> I think that's the isolated track right there yeah. that we use yeah. to to uh, that's what we're promote today's show. We do, I just need people to bring me their kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Jail Covan, known uh, known uh, target of QAnon for his. Uh, let's play the clip. Here he is demanding kids be brought to him for tribute. The the day the day I decided that I absolutely loved. Richard Marks was the day I saw he, he tweeted something out about, you know, fuck Trump or whatever. And somebody tweeted at him like, and who are you again? And Richard Marks tweeted back. I'm the guy your wife's mute. Uh, I'm the guy who made the music your wife used to fuck to before she met you. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's the greatest own in Twitter history as far That's as amazing. I'm concerned. And what I like about what I think I appreciate about Richard Marx is he's obviously it's so weird because one of the things I've run into not comparing our careers, I, I, I jokingly thought to myself during the book, are we going to get into? Yeah, the book? yeah, we're going to get into okay. the book in a minute. Well, I, it's just that he gets treated. It's like he literally has like 14 number one hits. But even if you're just going by like the pop, like stardom, mm-hmm. stuff, that's like half a dozen huge songs. Yeah. So when people are like, you fucking one hit wonder, yeah. it's like, that's not even accurate. Yes. Like, and then, so I always think when people say to me, like, they cut, you know, yo, you one hit wonder comedian, I go, well, first of all, one hit is pretty tough in comedy. Yeah. And secondly, if you don't watch anything else I do, you can always be like, you only do Trump. I'm like, well, you're not trying to see anything else. So I get like, if I only watched Breaking Bad, and then walked up to, to once again, comparing myself, uh, you know, to, to Brian Cranston. Yeah. He was like, do you do anything besides Walter White? <laughs> like, that makes me look dumb. It doesn't make him look like a loser. Right, right, right. It's like yelling one at Harrison Ford. Say, one hit wonders. That's the insult of no hit pieces of shit. Yeah, exactly. And somehow they think they're. it's like, and to be honest, the reason it stings is because it does sting. You're like, I don't want to be one hit. I don't want to only taste that sweet nectar once. <laughs> so they do know they're correct. It does suck to even have those creeping doubts. But with Richard Marks, it's just like not even close to accurate. It's like you one decade hit wonder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's even that's not accurate. Like, that's not true. But if, yes. if, if that's what you're really thinking, you're like, oh, for, sure, from. 86 to yeah. 95 you right. were big yeah yeah you were only the biggest musician of the 80s and 90s but other and than also that lost uh, a grammy to millie vanilli and i never got into it with him because i didn't want to get him too into lip a uh, limp oh that's discussion. but I, I i in my heart i go 
Yeah, Millie Vanilli, I think, won the year. The best new, best, best new artist. We've, we've well, he was, I don't think he was even nominated for best. Oh, Remember, that's, like, that's book, right. Like, yes. 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 Because, reason, because but... he, he had a song on a soundtrack yeah, like a really year earlier. Like two years earlier. And it was like, oh, for, that's right. Somebody dug it up. But I think he lost like a best song or something like, a, like to Millie Vanilli. And it was, uh, I thought, I know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's get into the book a little bit. So Jay and yeah. L, Jay L and I have both read the book. Uh, Chip hasn't. So so this will this will be like a good chance to sort of educate Chip on um, on Richard Marks. And I'm excited because I, I I don't know a whole lot about his history. I I know you know a bunch of his hits. Uh, I think I think they're great, and I love him on Twitter. So I need you guys to color in the lines for me right now. Sell Richard Marks to me. Go. <laughs> I got the autographed copy from Barnes and Noble. Oh, oh amazing. Yeah. We go extra special. I didn't even know those were guys like those were real guys. Like they autographed it. Barnes and Noble, yeah. Yes. You got both of them? <laughs> <laughs> um so Richard Marks grew up in Chicago, right? The son of a jingle writer the son of an extremely successful jingle writer. He wrote, uh, he wrote the Marlboro jingle back when you can still give cigarettes funny little jingles. Uh, I read that he wrote the Double Mint jingle, uh, the Double Mint gum. And um, Richard Marks was obsessed with, with watching his dad in the studio. Richard Marks began his singing career at age five singing background in uh, his dad's jingles along with his mother, who, who was also musically inclined. And um, Richard Marks seems to know his whole life that he wants to be a musician. He said that he stood up, I think, in front of his kindergarten in a first grade class and, and sang, a, sang a monkey song. He was a big Davy Jones fan. And he sang a monkey song and noticed that all the girls like gravitated towards him. And he said that at age five, he knew that's what he wanted to do. So, um, he girls. Get, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's why, that's actually the same reason I started stand up comedy is just to keep the women away. And yeah. it's, it, 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 it worked like a charm. <laughs> yeah, being a, being a lawyer has served me so much better with women than being a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is what I found. So the 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 underlying the underlying theme that I took from this book was that Richard Marks is a walking version of that book, The Secret. Like, he's a human vision board. Like, everything that he envisioned that he wanted to do, he made happen. He, he, he would have visions of certain people that he wanted to work with. And it, they all just, like, fell into his circle. Like, and, um, it, it's a very charmed life. Um, yeah, but I think it was also what it ignores in a way. He doesn't ignore it, but I think obviously if he was just some guy who was trying to sing, he obviously had exceptional talent. Yes. So, so your world is going to like, instead of a one in a million chance right. of running into say, you'll be like one in 500 yeah. chance because you're already sort of an elite, uh, person. I mean, he was, I got jealous when I read about his early singing career because he kind of acknowledged that as a he was an in-demand sort of session musician, mm -hmm. a saint background singer and, and, and things like that. And he said, like, you could make because it was the rise of the CD and MTV. There was so much work for musicians where you could really make work making music. You did, it didn't just have to be get out on tour right. to make your money. And I kept sitting. I was looking at it going. God, being a session musician, that was like being a feature comedian in the yes. 80s, yeah. or even an MC, where it's like, oh, on your way up, you can quit that job because now the 600 you're making at the improv in 1985 is like a good week's pay. Right. Like, and they're giving you a hotel. Yeah. Like, so all these things that, so I'm reading this going like, yeah, that's like, that's session. And now he said, like at one point he said, it's very tough for, for, background singers and things like that because of the technology and because albums don't sell as much 
there isn't as much money for people in the making music pro process. It's it's all about touring, but to tour, you got to reach a certain level, uh, you know. So I just I kind of related to that. I was like, ah, I feel I feel like I've had a 18 year comedy career as a session singer comedian. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and thank and thank God for comedians that uh, the the exact opposite is true. That the money for for feature comedians has just gone up and up and up <laughs> yeah. over the years. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Uh, oh, the so the sad. money the money Chip and I make featuring pays for this entire podcast. Yeah. Um. Here here's so Chip. This was his first. This was his f the first thing I read that that really grabbed my attention. So he is in high school or just graduated high school. He's about seventeen or eighteen. He has a four song demo that he put together, and a friend of his who's going off to college is like, oh. Lionel Richie's in town for a concert, and I have a friend of a friend who knows Lionel Richie. Right, like his roommate, his friend's college roommate yeah. had some connection to Lionel Richie. Yeah, he says, give, <laughs> me, give me your demo, and I'll see if I can get it to Lionel Richie. And it's a, first off, I'm reading this, and I'm like, well, obviously that didn't fucking happen because nothing ever happens like that. Like, that... That, that demo never ends up in the hands of Lionel Richie. So um, he says it's about a couple weeks later, and the phone rings at home, and it's Lionel Richie saying that he'd heard his demo, and they, they got to talking. He asked how old he was. He was like, you know, I'm 18. He says, are you going to college? I think he said, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure. And Lionel Richie was like, look, I'm not telling you what to do, but you're really talented. And if I were you, I would come to L.A. and not go to college. So Richard Marks. Now, here's so Richard. So that's what he and does. That's when Marks got into porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He stepped off the bus. There was a sleazy producer waiting for him. Poison was playing <laughs> Fallen Angel in the background. <laughs> Out into yeah. the city. Okay, it's not yeah. a poison episode. So. <laughs> We're gonna call nope. you Dick Marks from now on. <laughs> That's what and Dick Marks the spot. First movie. <laughs> the Welcome to the Jungle video was actually about Richard Marks's first time in L.A. Um, but here's the thing that 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 blew me away when I read this because if this had happened to one of us, you know, someone someone says, "Oh, I'm, I can get your tape into the hands of whatever Bill Burr," and you're like, "Yeah, sure," and then Bill Burr calls you a couple weeks later, like your head would explode. Like I can't believe that actually happened. Richard Mark says he sort of totally knew that Lionel Richie was going to get the demo and call. He said that he wasn't in the least bit surprised. He said he was very excited to talk to him, but that he had envisioned that Lionel Richie was going to get the demo and be impressed. And then fast forward, I guess, a few months later, and he's out in L.A. Uh, he's washed up porn star, and um, he's in the studio. Lionel Richie says, hey, I'm cutting an album. Uh, why don't you just come by? You you could learn how the studio works. Doesn't even invite him to be on it or anything. Just just come watch what happens. And um, it was that it was that big Lionel Richie album, the 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 one that was you know the one with Hello and uh, Dancing on the Ceiling the and ceiling. all. Ceiling, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they're going. I forget what song, but they're they're doing. I think it might, I think it was all night long. Yes, yeah, yeah. Dancing on the ceiling. I think it was because the, the all night oh. long album. I think was the one before the oh, dancing okay. on the ceiling yeah. one, okay. that, which was the bigger one. Right. You know. Okay. It, it was yes. So, um, they're they're doing take after take of this song, and the background singers can't seem to get it right. So then finally, Lionel's like, like points to Richard Marks is like, all right, why don't why don't you try? Let, let's give you a shot. And then and Richard Marks is like 19 at this point. And he steps up and nails the background vocals. And then comes back and gets put on other songs. And then Lionel Richie's like, oh, you know, like you should talk to Kenny Rogers. 
and gets him in touch with Kenny Rogers, and uh, he ends up singing background on some Kenny Rogers albums. And writing, right? Yeah, yeah, so this was nuts. So he'd written a song. He said he had like a like a one bedroom apartment that had nothing but like a keyboard in it that that he would use and he would he basically would... he he did the Bo Burnham thing before Bo Burnham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he writes. Uh, he has a song that he thinks would be perfect for Kenny Rogers. Was it Lady? Was Is that it, the name of it? Yeah, it may have been. I, I don't remember exactly what song. It may it may have been Lady. And um, apparently, it was not... It's considered a pretty big faux pas, you know, for a background singer to a session musician to, to go up to the star and be like, oh, I'm also a songwriter and let me pitch you this. And But he he said that he knew that he had the balls to do it. And he had a feeling Kenny Rogers was going to love the song. And they he overhears Kenny Rogers and the producer saying that the album's missing. Like, they, they just need a, a real... A good ballad, Yeah, I a think. good ballad, yeah. Can I tell... Can I... Can I... When I read that part of the book, mm-hmm. what's hilarious is in 20... I want to say 2019, might have been 2018, I went to see Peter Cetera uh-huh. at the Mayo Arts Center in... Um, <laughs> Morristown, New Jersey. Peter Cetera for like is has one of the, my favorite, if not my favorite, voice ever because it is like so singular. Yeah. It's so good, but it's so you know you you have a lot. Richard Marx has a very unique voice yes. too, but like Peter Cetera to me, it was just like if I had to like pick my favorite male vocalist, it might be Peter Cetera. So I said, oh, I got to see him. Uh, you know, just yeah, I, I hope he's still good, and he was. But he, before he went into You're the Inspiration, which came out in 1984, he gets he, he, he told two super bitter stories, which were hilarious. One about losing the Oscar for Glory of, Glory Love, of Love for Karate Kid 2. And the way he did that was very funny. Like his band played each nominated song and then he kind of pretends to like get up to win and they start playing Take My Breath Away by Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> But the Kenny Rogers, when he goes like my agent or David Foster had said to me, like Kenny Rogers, it was David Foster, like Kenny Rogers needs a ballad for his next album. So he writes over the course of a week, a song, you don't know what song it is. And he says he gets it to Kenny Rogers. And Kenny Rogers is basically like, oh, you know, we're actually done with the album. We're good. Um, And Peter Cetera in a level of bitterness that I loved more than anyone else in the theater that night. He goes, Kenny should have taken the song. And then the band just started playing You're the Inspiration. And it was a real like, this is a number one hit, you son of a bitch. Like 35 years later. And then when I read the book, I said, based on the timing. Oh, it was probably. Was it the, was it the song that Richard Marks wrote for Kenny Rogers that bumped Satara's song off yet because I'm just thinking obviously people could produce albums but in that 83 84 I'm imagining Kenny Rogers wasn't pumping out an album a year no right so I I mean maybe I'm wrong but I felt like I was watching the the shared universe cinematic universe of like power ballad pop singers uh collide <laughs> that's amazing the, the, now, is is your the, remind me is you're the inspiration is that a chicago song or is that just a peter satara song that's a it, chicago it a i chicago believe, song, but I believe. Wrote, those were like those songs that eventually led to him breaking off with chicago because right. he had formed this non-horn section power ballad union with david foster yeah. so they were those were like some of the biggest hits chicago ever had do you guys ever see the Chicago documentary? Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, so yeah. friggin' good. Um, but it, you know, that was the, it, you know, him and David Foster, you can't deny what they had was like magic, but it was also not really Chicago. Right. Uh, it was a dramatic shift from, uh, you know, what they, what they had been doing. The, the funniest thing that I found about that story was, was Kenny Rogers sits down and reads the song and says, this is really good, but I think we should change. I forget what the word Richard Marx said. It was like maybe just as an example, like Richard Marx said the word become somewhere in the, in the song. 
and Kenny Rogers crossed it out and changed it from become to be. So he he literally changed one word of Richard Marx's song and <laughs> gets the 50% co-writing credit. <laughs> <laughs> which, which to, to his credit, I think Richard Marks was smart enough to know, like, this is no big deal. This is this is getting me in. And, and the song went on to become a huge hit. So I'm sure, you know, 50 percent of a huge hit is is still a nice little chunk. And yeah, it's uh, why Kenny Kenny Rogers was like the company that by contract owns the patents on the work the scientists do. Mm-hmm. Right. So you like invent the cure, but Pfizer gets the yeah. uh, gets the patent, not you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, by, by the way, uh, I did just not to get too personal, but just last week I got my second Kenny Rogers shot, so I'm feeling really <laughs> good. I got the Dolly Parton. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, good, good. <laughs> um, Richard Marks goes on. He he does session work with some really big names. He sings background on with Cher. He sings background with Madonna. Like he's all over some some really big records. Um, but he and and he's writing songs for people. But he really wants. I did like that. I'm sorry, but just yeah. before we leave Lionel Richie, because man, Lionel Richie comes off like nothing short of sort of a musical angel yes in this book like yeah. literally like I, I i have been sent here to touch to like get your career going in so many ways but i laughed out loud which i didn't I, you know i smiled at a lot of stuff but when he recounted the lionel richie story about the swahili part of all night long oh yes yes and it was like almost entirely literally just made up gibberish jumbo yeah <laughs> it's gibberish that was, that was funny <laughs> <laughs> um so Richard Marx he, he's he's really desperate to become uh his own art. He he wants to sing his own songs. He wants and he and he he sees himself as a rock artist. Um he finally gets a deal with Capitol Records. He he's he gets a private audition with the head of Capitol and is signed on the spot and is also given and for, he's like 23, like maybe he's 22 or 23, gets a deal with Capitol Records, a multi-record deal on the spot and is given full creative control, which is like unheard of. Like he, he's, he's told he can produce his first record, which is amazing. So but I think it was also because his demo, like his four song, I guess it would be like an EP today or something that you'd release, but his, it had two of his first chart like top five billboard hits on his yeah, demo right that he was shopping around it wasn't just like this guy's got talent it was right. like These and it are- was funny because he speaks as i'm sure we can all appreciate he speaks to that that schadenfreude of like once you get proven correct with your stuff that's kind of how i felt with trump where i was like i told you it was good folks why did nobody <laughs> believe me but when you shop a demo around and, and record executives are like, I don't think you've got star potential. Yeah. And then two of the songs on the demo, not like you didn't see my potential. Like you literally had a, like a number three song and like a number five song on the chart in yeah. your hands from an unsigned artist yes. and said, no thanks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and his debut self-titled album goes on to it's triple platinum, his, his debut album. So his first single, I think this story is amazing. So his first single, he's 22 or 23. His first single is a rock song called Don't Mean Nothing about uh, how jaded he is with the music business, which is hilarious to me because it's his first song. You know, well, it's like Kid Rock uh, having Only God Knows Why on his debut album. And it's like, you're writing a song about how tough it is to be a rock star before you've become a rock right. star. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I still I love that song, but I still think it's hilarious that it was literally like I am uh, predicting how tough yes. my life will be when I'm mega famous. Yeah. And, um, and just to just to go back to that and how prolific Richard Marx was. Richard Marx, I don't know if you guys know this, actually is credited on that Kid Rock album. He wrote the lyrics <laughs> Get in the Pit and Try to Love Someone. Yeah. So. A lot of people don't know that. 
Um, so don't mean nothing. So he he's talking with his producer, and the producer's like, boy, this kind of sounds like an Eagles song. And the producer says, hey, I'm friends with Randy Myers. And the Eagles at this point long broken up. And, all, you know, still, I, I believe all at each other's throats. There's no getting them in the same room. Right. And he says, oh, I'm friends with Randy Meisner, and, uh, who, who used to play bass in the Eagles. And um, maybe we can get him in to sing background. And Richard Marks, and this is his debut, you know, this is his very first song. And Richard Marks is like, well, that would that'd be amazing. And they, they get Randy Meisner down. And Randy Meisner's like, hey, you know, uh, Timothy B. Schmidt's in town, who I believe replaced him as the bass player in the Eagles. So let's, let's, let's see if he wants to sing background. So they call up Timothy B. Schmidt. Timothy says yes. And he's now got two uh, Eagles on his uh, singing background, which is hilarious that they're singing background to this unknown kid. And they said, hey, you know, we noticed that there's a cool slide guitar part in this song. Who do you have playing it? And Richard Marks is like, I don't know. It's like, we'll get a studio musician. And they were like, well, Joe Walsh is in town if you want us to call him. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, call Joe Walsh, I guess. And Joe Walsh says... Fine. So they call Joe Walsh, and Joe Walsh says yes. And on Richard Marx's very first single, he has a quasi Eagles reunion. The song goes to number three on the Billboard 100 and number one on the rock charts, which, you know, as, as a debut single is absolutely nuts. Um, and I think. I think Richard Marks probably thought he had like a big rock career ahead of him based on that. And then, of course, it turns out that all the record company wants to do is, is release his ballads. But, but they're so good. Like, yeah. that's the uh, once again, it really feels like I am like I relate on a, a micro level to it because it's like you did the but your ballads are so good. Yes, they're so good yeah. that it's like. Your fans will absorb different things from you, but the fact is the stuff that crossed over to like mega stardom were these incredible ballads. So it's like, I just think when I read the book, I kept thinking I'm a very negative person. I think that's what comedy does to anybody who's not an idiot. <laughs> but um, it's either either you get blessed early in comedy and think that it's the greatest thing in the world and then you're like bitching about how your second show didn't get picked up by a network right and you've lost all sort of semblance of what the real world is in comedy or you just get jaded but this book it felt like he had a good you know he came from from good positive parents who, who had who gave him that example of success in their own realm in music and his dad was also like a respected musician not just successful right and he just kind of left i think with that positivity it's the way i feel about like women it wasn't till my third girlfriend that i was like oh my god women can be pieces of shit who knew i was like (laughs) i've only dated like great women and then all of a sudden you're like giving the benefit of the doubt to a terrible person he's like well well, women are great like you must be you must have a reason for doing what you're doing and i feel like his life was just kind of like i have great talent great examples a few early breaks so there was never a it didn't feel like there was much of a reason to doubt yourself and i think you know, he's he's fair. I mean, he's realistic about his skills, but I think he obviously had recognizable yes. elite talent. Yes. So, you know, the lesson is if you have elite talent, be positive and good things will happen. To yeah. You. Well, and, and he, he sort of says that throughout the book, but yeah. also to go along with elite talent, he had a work ethic that I don't think a lot of people have. And I think he sort of inherited that from watching what his dad did. Um, But, uh, you know, so his first album, triple platinum, uh, the second album, repeat offender goes triple platinum. Oh, uh, Chip, you'll like this. Um, Talking about how he just sort of vision boarded shit into existence. So, he goes out one like on a rare night off. He goes to see the movie Flashdance, and um, 
not the main, not the main Jennifer lady, Beals. not Jennifer Beals, but the other girl in it, uh, Cynthia Rhodes. Right. And he watches the movie and, and he's drawn to Cynthia Rhodes and he's just thinking about how sexy she is. And, and he, he walks out not knowing who she was, but has a crush on her. And then I think within a few months, he gets called in to do some session work for somebody or sing. Staying Alive, the, the sequel oh, right. to Saturday Night Fever. Right. Okay. And so, yeah, so he gets called in to sing on the soundtrack and Cynthia Rhodes is in the studio because she's also singing on the soundtrack. And then fast forward, they end up married for 25 years and three sons together. Amazing. And by the way, John Travolta, subtle, just a a staying alive sidebar, incredibly jacked in staying alive. Like one of the most underrated jacked. I put him in the class with Steve Gutenberg in Police Academy One, <laughs> incredibly <laughs> subtly jacked. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, I wanted to. Add, so I know we don't have jail for too much longer. So I want to. Um, I want to get into the story of his repeat offender tour and the Chinese mafia. Incredible, because this was the most. That's what gets the movie made. Like, yes. No, like, like if there's an option out there for for movie rights, it's the Chinese mob story that you make like central to your pitch because you're like this guy that everybody thinks of as this sort of uh, balladeer or adult contemporary superstar. You can make this like a 25 minute segment yeah. in the middle of the movie. Yeah, it could be like the second act, like the whole yeah. second act. So he's on his repeat offender world tour. He's particularly big in uh, Asia. And the last two shows of the tour are scheduled for Taiwan. So they're in this big hotel, his whole crew and band. And um, he gets a heads up the morning of the show that, hey, Richard... Uh, it's it's a stadium show, so it's it's outdoors, obviously. And they say, hey, Richard, uh, it looks like there might be some bad rain, so we got to keep our eye on that today. And he said that, you know, it was overcast and it was cloudy, but it wasn't raining. And then a couple hours later, it starts raining pretty hard. And he gets a phone call from the stadium where his crew is trying to sweep as much water off the stage and they're saying it's pretty bad we can't plug anything in yet but if it lets up soon we should be able to go ahead but right now it's it's a danger like you're in danger of being electrocuted if right. if you go out um the rain doesn't let up and the, he gets the call saying listen i think we have to postpone tonight's show unfortunately and he's upset he's upset for the fans he's upset for himself first thing he says is all right well tell the promoter to get on the radio and explain to people that the show has been canceled because of weather you know that we, we fear for people's safety and there is a second show the next night right yeah yeah this was this was the first of two shows so um the promoter does not do that. The promoter never lets the radio station know. Instead, the promoter calls this gentleman who put up all the money for the shows, Mr. Chen. Mr. Chen is one of the heads of the Chinese mafia. And Mr. Chen goes ballistic. Um, they, they, like I said, they never tell the radio the show's canceled. They allow people to wait online for two hours in the mud and the rain. They let them into the stadium. And then as they're sitting there waiting for Richard Marks to come out, a announcement comes out over the loudspeakers. Richard Marks doesn't feel like playing tonight. The show is canceled. Go home. Oh, my God. Uh Meanwhile, Richard Marks and his guitar. Why would they even let them in the stadium, too? Uh, like that's the that's the crazy part. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Richard Marks is blissfully unaware. He's in the hotel restaurant having dinner with his guitar player. People begin rioting at the stadium and tearing the place apart. And um, Mr. Chen and several other Chinese mobsters show up at the hotel 
with guns drawn to the front desk demanding to know where Richard Marx's room is. They want to know where the agent is. And under, you know, under threats of being shot, they they tell them um, Richard Marx. And they Mar- take one of his band members hostage. They, yeah, they oh take the God. agent. Yeah, so the... the, the, so the to- it was the agent? It was, it was the touring, it was the touring, okay. man- it was the touring manager. And uh, he's in his room just resting up. Richard Marx is downstairs bullshitting at the restaurant. The Chinese mafia kicks in the door of the touring manager and and takes him hostage at gunpoint and um uh, while richard and his guitar player eating dinner someone else from the crew runs down and he's like richard there's no time to explain you have to come with me we have to run and and richard marks is horrified he they're not explaining to him what's going on they they run through it's, it's apparently a giant hotel with several lobbies they, they run through, they, they get taken into some service elevator, and they get into one of the other, um, one of the crew members' rooms, and they barricade the room with furniture uh, so nobody can get in, and then they explain to Richard Marks what happened. Um, then the phone rings in the hotel room, and it is the touring manager who now has guns pointed at his head by the Chinese mafia. And he says, listen, Richard, I'm here with Mr. Chen. He would like to talk to you. Um, He wants you to play two shows tomorrow to make up for for canceling tonight. And um, he says, if you don't, they're going to kill me right now. And yeah, it's fucking... Richard Mark says... Yeah. I don't do two shows. <laughs> yes, <Richard>. Goodbye, friend. <laughs> Richard Marks and was that's like, when "I said this is a man of integrity." Yeah, yeah. He yes. was like, "I didn't even like that guy, and I'm not doing I, that." I to know my Lionel throat. Richie. Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> yeah. I just think it's so funny that this is happening over Richard Marks. Like, this sounds like if you told me this was the Rolling Stones or Iggy right. Pop or or like a political, like a like a like a a politically yeah, like, pussy riot in yeah. Russia. Yeah. Yes. Like like somewhere where there's like a political component to the to the artist. Yeah. But it's it's the right here waiting dude. Um. So Mr. Chen gets on the phone. He's like, listen, you're going to play two shows tomorrow or I'm going to kill. And, and Richard Marks is like, of course, please don't do anything dumb. Of course, I'll play the shows. Meanwhile, Richard Marks's team, uh, they call the they try to call the embassy, but it's 1990 and there's no diplomatic relations with Taiwan. So there's not even an embassy to call. So uh, Richard Marx's team in L.A. calls a private Asian security firm who does a quick little homework and was like, yeah, this dude's the real deal. He's like the head of the Chinese mafia, and I would do whatever the fuck he says, but we'll come up with a plan to get you out after the concerts. So um, they keep they keep his manager hostage overnight. There's Richard and his band, they say they don't sleep a wink and they have to do a show the next day at noon. Um, the, what, what the mafia tells them is we will release your manager at the beginning of the second show. You know, once we see that you've gone on, but if you get off early, like we're, we're going to kill everybody. So, um, they play the first show now. Every that's even funnier, a con- uh, an even funnier contrast than my sketch idea. If you think <laughs> about it, like here I am singing power ballads and, and nice songs, and then like cursing people on Twitter. This is like imagine having to do like hold on to the night. Yes, while like <laughs> yeah, fearing like a mass murder. Yeah, he says. <laughs> He keeps looking over. He keeps looking over to the side of the stage, and they got a gun to his manager's head the whole time, and he, he's freaking out. And the audience is very anti-Richard Marks because they believe he didn't play the night before because he didn't feel like playing because nobody ever told them it, it was it was the weather. Right. So the stadium is more than half empty. And 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 to get back to our Millie Vanilli point, he should have just blamed it on the rain. <laughs> And that's what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> See? That's right. Proceed. Proceed. <laughs> um, 
They're they're holding up signs like we no longer love you, like we hate you, Richard Marks, and uh, they get through the first concert. Now, uh, the private does almost sound like the taunts in Anchorman. I hate you, Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Richard Marx. So now on the other side of the stage is Richard Marx's private security team, also heavily armed. So he's he's sort of like sandwiched in between the heavily armed. It's a Marxican standoff. I have to go. <laughs> oh, there it is. I'm out. There I'm it out. is. I'm done with the podcast. We're still calling the episode. Bring me your kids. Scene. That's it. <laughs> Wow, I'm proud of that one. That was really good. We're still we're still calling the episode uh, "Bring JL Your Kids," though. Yes, um, okay. you can't beat that one. So then they have to do the second show, and uh, but the second show, I guess, word got out that he actually showed up. So the second show is packed and is filled with. Yeah, 90. they had no reason to be mad. Yeah, their show was honored. Yeah, yeah. no, like they 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 they, they yeah. were holding up signs and said, "Oh, like we kind of like you again, Richard Marks," <laughs> and um, he's told the second the show is over, run to the side of the stage. Don't get your gear. Don't get your instruments. Somebody will come up and get. We'll take care of that. You have to get the fuck out immediately. Like we don't know. What Basically, this... the finale of Argo. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Like, yeah. That... Basically, is the fun, except it really happened, yeah. unlike in Argo, though I do love Argo. So they run, the concert ends, they run off stage, they jump into a car. Richard Marks is sat next to, to a bodyguard who's armed, and they. I'm aiming for that role yeah. in, the, in the adaptation. I want to <laughs> the, 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 the armed bodyguards. bodyguards. Um, they peel out of there, and the Chinese mafia, Mr. Chen's henchmen, are chasing them to the airport there there uh it's a hundred mile per hour car chase to the airport and then finally mr chen's guys they they get tired they turn around they get to the airport safely they're they're immediately escorted into like a private lounge they have to wait a couple hours they fly from taiwan to the story gets crazier like it's not even like they're they weren't even totally safe then they they fly from Taiwan to Tokyo. Like, what the fuck just happened, you know? They get on the plane to Tokyo, the, from the, the plane that's going from Tokyo to, to L.A., and they're flying, and he said most of the crew and staff, most of the crew and musicians had finally, like, the, the exhaustion of everything had caught up to them, and I think he said everybody was pretty much asleep. And then Richard Marks just looks out the window and notices there's a fire coming, uh, like the airplane is on fire. I would have assumed it was the Chinese mob had like yeah. shot the plot. Like, I would have been which like, which is weird because he still honored his contract. That, and, and I don't yeah. know if it was one of those things where the mob was just trying to be like, we're going to make you never forget this by scaring you. Because yeah. it's like, hey, isn't the point if I pay my debt that I then don't right. die? Right. <laughs> do you think? Do you think he just looked out and was just like, man, they're fucking good like, yeah. <laughs> i would i just would have connected it Being yeah negative i just would have been like dude, i can't believe they dude, i can't believe they got the plane yeah you remember when um who was who was that who was that golfer that died on a plane when the oxygen went all wacky um Payne stewart was that the guy i believe so I didn't know the. I knew it was a crap. I didn't know it was like an he, oxygen. He, yeah, he was on an airplane that like decompressed, like the oxygen decompressed oh, or something, and everybody on the plane died. But but that's why I take Amtrak for two days <laughs> to get to a <laughs> Two weeks before that happened, he'd gotten in a lot of trouble for. He made some kind of Chinese joke. He he was making fun of Asians. And he got in a lot of trouble for that. And then I remember Payne Stewart. Yeah, the Payne, Payne Stewart, the golfer. And then I remember reading that, and I the first thought I had was, "Man, the Chinese are tough." <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, when you just said that, it it reminded me of it. But then, so yeah, so he says he sees stewardesses flying up to the cockpit, uh, and then the the pilot. And that, can you imagine getting through all that just to fucking have your plane crash? Um. But then the, the pilot was like, listen, one of the engines is on fire. I, I shut it down. So we have four engines. I could land on one, you know, but 
they 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 land safely and then he makes it back to LA but i just thought that was like richard marks and the chinese mafia was just one of the wildest stories i've ever read that's mm-hmm. incredible i'm sold i'm sold <laughs> i'm green lighting the story but <laughs> well, it's just it's it's i it, i keep thinking to myself like what's the is the tra- the trailer of the movie Part of me thinks, but it'd be too campy to do it this way. Like the first 45 seconds are like the chase from the Chinese mob. So you think it's this big action movie. And then they get to the airport and he turns to the camera and he goes, I'm Richard Marks. And then it's like, what? (laughs) Richard Marks? Whoa, I didn't expect that. Um. I did like what what I did like in the book was there was just a tiny bit of frustration with with Richard Marks uh, about his career, which is crazy when you think about it, because but it, it feels it's good because it doesn't feel like it's speaking to successful people. But it's also like, like his frustration seemed totally warranted, totally normal, like. And he's not making a book. He keeps like private stuff private. Yeah. But as far as his feelings on people, the business, uh, he doesn't show. And I like that because there, I feel like we're in too much, a, even in comedy, everybody's trying to be sort of a, a couch guest at, on Jimmy Fallon. Like, right. let's talk the fun stuff. And, it, and it's like, this is a very, it's, it's organized well. But like, I liked that there were these real moments of like, yeah, I don't like be I don't know where you were going, but like I don't like that people dismiss me uh in, in certain ways. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's where I was going because he he you know, saw like some podcasters who go the the right here waiting guy. Yeah. Right. Ken. <laughs> <laughs> um you know he 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 felt pigeonholed as as a as a ballad guy and um he, I guess he, you know, he saw himself more as a rock musician. And the truth is, I went back, you know, preparing for this. I went back and I listened. I, I just went on uh, YouTube and I listened to songs of his that, that weren't the hits that I haven't heard. And I was like, oh, he, he does have some good hard rocking songs. And um, but I liked because it just seemed like his life was so charmed that I, I did like, all right, well, at least at least not everything has gone right for this dude, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I think it's just a, it's, it's, it's a, you take great pride in your work, and, and so you can make a lot of money. Yeah. And you can have, but it's like, it still matters. I, that's what I like, like, it still matters that the work be respected. Right, um, absolutely. I think that was that was very cool because in comedy that's sometimes all you have. You don't have the money, and right. you're just like, just don't call me a thief. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? He also had to. What was great was at one point he admits like his his performing career, um, you know, s- starts on the downturn, and and he was very honest. He was like, you know. Uh, middle-aged white singer-songwriters wasn't what the industry was looking for at that point, and and I didn't get the I didn't get the hint that he said that with any kind of bitterness. I think he just mm-hmm. said that as this isn't that wasn't in style at the time, so he just went back to songwriting and producing. And um, though I did watch a Zoom concert of his last year, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny, you, like, you know how music is like a, a bit of a time machine? You, you hear songs and they just bring you back. I, I was never, um, I, growing up, I, I wasn't a, a Richard Marks. I sort of recognized that that wasn't music targeted for me, you know, that, that, that it was uh, more for female fans. But... Um, I identify as a female fan. That's <laughs> my preferred pronouns are he, him, female fan. I was, uh, I was at, uh, when he was big, I think when that repeat offender album came out, I, I was in sleepaway camp and all the girls loved it so much. And I hear those songs 
and it just brings me back to the summers uh, of my like I the I, endless summer nights of <laughs> your youth. Exactly. <laughs> I I made out with so many girls to Richard Mark songs that uh, like I can. Oh, never... Wow, I didn't. Good for you. Yeah. Neither did I. Uh, neither did I. Jail. Uh, by the way, this entire podcast was just a long roundabout way for Ken Krantz to brag that he hooked up with a bunch of girls at sleepaway camp. Right, he was he was the counselor and they were eleven, but still <laughs> right. a Lothario hey, right. is a Lothario. Yes. Exactly. I was just like, bring me your kids, bring send them to camp. <laughs> <laughs> he you know, like I, I and then and then digging deep into him, like th- there's some stuff he was involved in that I just like um Vixen's uh, Edge of a Broken Heart. Yeah! Yeah, he wrote and produced it. Right. They're one mark, and maybe there's, they'd be ha- angry to hear that. Yeah. But he did say they, like, broke up a little bit later because he brought in, you know, he brought in, like, a better guitarist. Yeah, he, he said the guitarist couldn't nail her part, so he brought in a session musician. But I was hearing Vixen. I was like, I think I've heard of them. I've heard of one thing they've done. Right. And it was the song he wrote. And it was Richard Marks, and then at, at one point he, uh, he he's curious if he can write country songs, and and he hooks up with Keith Urban and and writes a writes a bunch of songs that that hit the that, that I think he wrote a couple number one country yep. singles also. One was on for six was number one country for six weeks. He he wrote. I I was surprised to find this. He was good friends with Luther Vandross, and he, I I knew that, but yeah. Well, we're not we're not all you know tight with Richard Marks. No, I, I had to read knew the it book. Before. That was uh, <laughs> he wrote. He wrote my father. Yeah, he wrote "Dance with My Father." He he won the Grammy for that, which was you know I'm guessing Luther's biggest hit. I mean, I think I think I think in a weird way, it's sort of the biggest hit for Richard Marks in terms of getting the Grammy. Yeah, um, but. Uh, most no, I mean, song of the year is one of the big, you know, so it's yeah. hard to top that whoever you are. Yeah. Um, unless you're Billie Eilish and it just like happens like every year from your 14th birthday. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a nice song. Um, but uh, yeah, the Luther Vandross, I just, I, I, I was just happy there were a couple of, uh, you know, people he hated in the book. I like that he said, uh, who was it that Luther Vandross hated? Um, oh, um, Patty. Was it Patty LaBelle? No, no. no uh, Gladys, uh, Gladys Knight. No, Bryant. Uh, oh God. I'm gonna. F- well, oh. uh, talk amongst yourselves. And then he hates Brad Paisley. I just wrote on on Richard Marx's Instagram. He was like, "I'm so thankful for all the the great comments you guys have posted about the book." And I said, uh, "Brad Paisley told me he loved it." <laughs> But Anita, Anita Anita Bryant, Anita Baker, Anita Anita Bryant, Bryant. yeah. Or was it Anita? No, Anita Baker. Anita Anita Baker. Anita Baker. Yes, I believe it was a. I hope. I I think. Yeah, I believe it was Anita Baker. They was like, and Luther hated Anita Baker. (laughs) I was like, nice, nice to. From from beyond the grave, he he delivers a a punch uh, on on Luther Vandross's behalf. But the Brad Paisley thing, I have to admit that I did laugh at Brad Paisley's burn. Yeah, what, what did Brad say about him? Well, Brad Paisley said something about like, well, you know, country music is really about the song, like the stories and the songwriting. Oh. And he took that as like a, oh, like you're insulting anybody, like as if pop singers can't make great songs or write right. good stories. Right. And so he said like, I think that's bullshit or whatever. And then Brad Paisley came back and said, you know, it's like, as I'm reading it, it sounded kind of like an apology at first. He was like, I didn't mean to insult like, obviously many great songwriters in, in different genres. And I'm actually a Richard Marks fan. I'm the guy who bought his last album. Um, and yeah. Richard Marks was like lame fucking comeback asshole. But in my, in my head, I was like, uh, <laughs> it wasn't it's, terrible. It's not ter- <laughs> from the comedy standpoint. It wasn't an F. I'll just leave it at that. It's not an F. <laughs> I'll never, I'll never support Brad Paisley. I'll never betray Richard Marks that way. But, but uh, the comedian in me had to say, I kind of went, oh. <laughs> credit where credit is due. So, um, I, you have to get out of here, JL. Yeah. All right. It's, well, it's about that I listen. If you're listening, 
go out and buy Richard Marx's book because it was I've read hundreds of rock biographies and autobiographies and this honestly he's such a, he's such a an effortless storyteller and and even though all the stories are like oh I wanted this to happen and then it happened for me it, he still tells them in such a compelling way and uh you know I don't even think we scratched the surface on on all the different artists that he worked with and and helped. So, um, JL, you have anything to promote? I know you've got a lot of big things going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I have. If you just go to jlcomedy.com, I've got some shows coming up. I have a if you're a New Yorker and you like my comedy, uh, I'm recording a special October 23rd in the city. Tickets are on sale for it now, um, and uh, you know. All my social media links are on my website, jlcomedy.com, and I have two weekly podcasts, one as me and one as Trump. Uh, they're both, I think, worth your time. So whatever you pick, something, follow me on something. I'm sure you'll find stuff to enjoy. Yeah, watch, watch JL's videos. I'm not bullshitting when I say I think that he is miles better than, than any uh, other Trump impressions that, that are out there. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Thank you. All right, Chip, anything? Uh, just follow me on socials at Chip Chantry. How about you, Ken? Yeah, just just follow me, Ken Krantz Comic. Follow the podcast uh, at Rock and Roll Pod, and um, we will we'll be back next week. Jail, thank you so much for doing this. I hope you had fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys.